Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. For me, when I moved to the States, I was just, you know, a girl. And、um, I didn't realize just the dynamics of, you know, being underrepresented or being from a minority race.、Um, I was just myself.、Mm-hmm. Um, it's like、um, Chimamanda,、um, you know, she said, you know, I, I realized in one of her, her books, she said, I realized I was black when I moved to the States.、Mm-hmm. So. For the longest time in the States, I didn't realize I was black. I was just, you know, being myself. And I was just、um, oblivious of any things or nuances or undertones. I was just being myself. And it took me a while, like a year and a half, to realize oh, wait, I'm the only black person in my, ca- my class, hmm, in my MBA class. Hmm. Oh, wait, I'm the only black person in my church. Hmm. Oh,、right. <laughs> you know, wait, maybe this is, you know, weird. So I had to learn what racism is、um, for the good and bad of that. So, yeah, it, was, it took me a while. For the most time, I was just oblivious and just, which I think it's a blessing, you know,、um, yeah. to be oblivious. It's also, I mean, you can look at it from both ways, it's a blessing and a curse. And, Um, it took me a while to learn so much about my identity reborn in the States, which is like kind of the third culture you talk, you're talking about, like, and learning to navigate that kind of society. How you day? How you day? Today's guest is with Gigi Ogboma, and we talk about the importance of just acknowledging that things aren't always okay. Okay, Gigi is very much in the beginning stages of her career, and she's transitioning into entrepreneurship. And we dive into what those early stages are.、Yeah. With this podcast, I want to always be transparent and show people that it's okay, you know, to deal with quarter life crisis, to understand that navigating murky waters is part of the entrepreneurship journey. It's part of the cultural identity journey. And we learn a lot about Gigi's stories from, you know, connecting across cultures, trying to build a business in another continent, and dealing with expectations from family and friends. This is definitely one that I, I hope you all listen to as we go into the, the new year. And I hope you all are able to take some lessons from her. Bravery or courage, and or just ability to stay authentic through it all. Also, I just want to thank those of you that came to the masterclass. It was a huge success, and I'm going to be doing more. I really, really appreciate you showing up. It was it was something that meant a lot to me, and I can't believe I get to to、um, share my story with many of you all. I really, really appreciate it. Okay, enjoy the episode. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of As Told by Nomads. Today's guest is Gigi Ogboma. Now, from the name, you can tell she's a Nigerian, and I'm a Nigerian, so this is going to be a very fun episode. So, she's an entrepreneur and creative, and she's someone who lives in Madrid right now. She moved to Madrid after living in the US for three years. Right now, she works as a writer, creative director, and freelance SEO specialist. 
After having an undergraduate degree in economics and an MBA, she moved to Madrid for a PhD program in business finance before dropping out to start her online magazine called Cleverish Magazine. We're going to be talking to her about entrepreneurship, her background, the core life crisis, creativity, and culture. Welcome to the show, Gigi. Hi, thank you for having me. <laughs> no, the, the, pleasure, the pleasure is mine. So I don't know if you know this, but you're what we call a third culture kid. I yes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and th- that was the premise of what this podcast initially started uh I started on. And for those new listeners listening, I know this has been a podcast that's been out since 2014. So, a third culture kid is uh, refers to people who spent the formative periods of their lives outside of the parents' culture. This is often common with missionary kids, diplomatic kids, or you know, people with uh parents whose careers are sort of all over the all over the world. So, we tend to have um, m- multiple quote-unquote identities initially, or we live in nuance, as I like to say. So help, yeah. the, help the audience understand your background. You know, you, you, you're, you are Nigerian, we're both Nigerian, but you found yourself in the United States initially, and now you're in Madrid. So take us back to the early days. Um, well, I grew up in um, Nigeria, um, true and true. Um, I was in Nigeria till I was about 21, mm. and then I left the country for the first time um to the states to get my mba so um you know arriving in kansas city missouri midwest not new york or la but still a great city and um it took me like a year and a half to like really acclimatize with the city and get more into that american culture but um yeah my time was great and i had some culture shock but not a lot of culture shock because um, I don't know if you grew up in Nigeria, but we watch a lot of Western TV and American yep. TV. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so a lot of things were very familiar. And my friends, my American friends, we had like, you know, we watched the same cartoons and movies growing up, even though I was from all the way across the world. So I think it helped me um, just having that background. I didn't have too much of a culture shock and um, I was able to, you know, live in Kansas City and not... Um, deal with too much, you know, um, uncertainties. Right, right. Uh, so Kansas City is a um, is you know the middle of America, right? It's it's a, yeah. It's, it's the plains, and a lot of times I find, um, and I, when I first came to America, it was Virginia. You you was it was Kansas City. I'm curious if yeah. you said you had a bit of a culture shock, but when you first came, obviously you consumed a lot of American media. Were you already mm-hmm. aware that America is as big as it is? I, for me, I think initially, um, <laughs> yeah, because I think in in the movies, a lot of times we definitely see the New Yorks, the LA's, the Chicago's, you know, the Floridas maybe. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, sometimes, at least in my experience, when I've talked to people that have come here, um, they're like, "Whoa, it's I, wow, it's it, it's so much more diverse than I thought." I don't know if that was your experience as well. Yeah, it was definitely um, not the diverse part. The diverse part was not part of my experience because, I mean, Kansas City is just so homogeneous. But um, (laughs) size-wise, yes, it was really big. And actually, um, I moved to Kansas City because I had a friend there. And when I landed, um, she was like, okay, so your school is in Kansas City, Missouri, but actually I live in Kansas. I live in Overland Park, Kansas which is a different state. Yep. And I'm like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, so I lived in Kansas, 
Lenexa Overland Park, Kansas, which is a suburb um, <laughs> for the first few months. And before I finally got an apartment in the city center closer to school in Kansas City, Missouri. Mm. So, um, yeah, and I had to get a car like right away because I like I was my friend was driving me to class every day because it was so big, like like three highways just to get from school to the house or to go grocery shopping. It was just ginormous. So. Mm. Ginormous award. Anyway, so no, ginormous is definitely a word for 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 what you've done. Okay, all right, all right. Well, you touched on it there before we dive into more of your career right now. You said, yeah, uh, the thing that you you brought up, Kansas City is very homogeneous, and you are possibly one of the few minorities uh, there, uh, yeah, or people from underrepresented groups, I should say. So. Did, did that have any experience for you, positive or negative? Or how did you figure out how to um, to navigate that? Or did it just, it didn't matter? Um, well, for me, wait, before I answer that, I just want to like find out, did you grow up in Nigeria or? Yeah, I grew up in, I grew up, okay. in, I grew up in Nigeria, Vietnam, Sweden, Burkina Faso, and the United States. So I went okay. to, yeah, so I went to, um, I was born in Nigeria, Lagos, uh, I went to um, you know elementary school in Nigeria. Okay. Uh, I also did boarding school uh, for high school in Nigeria. Uh, okay. But in between, I was uh, I was all over. But okay. Yeah. Um. Well. Okay. I was asking that because um for me when I moved to the states I was just you know a girl and um I didn't realize just the dynamics of you know being underrepresented or being from a minority race. Um, I was just myself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like um, Chimamanda, um, you know, she said, you know, I, I realized in one of her, her books, she said, I realized I was black when I moved to the States. Mm-hmm. So for the longest time in the States, I didn't realize I was black. I was just, you know, being myself. And I was just um, oblivious of any things or nuances or undertones. I was just being myself. And it took me a while, like a year and a half, to realize, oh, wait, I'm the only black person in my co- my class, hmm, my MBA class. Hmm. Oh, wait, I'm the only black person in my church. Hmm. Oh, right. <laughs> you know, wait, maybe this is, you know, weird. So I had to learn what racism is um, for the good and bad of that. So yeah, it was. It took me a while. For the most time, I was just oblivious and just, which I think it's a blessing, you know, um, yeah. to be oblivious. It's also, I mean, you can look at it from both ways. It's a blessing and a curse. And um, it took me a while to learn so much about my identity, reborn in the states, which is like kind of the third culture you talk, you're talking about, like, and learning to navigate that kind of society and yeah. It's funny because you you're what we call an adult TCK, an adult third culture kid. I, even though I grew up in Nigeria, partly, um, I had yeah. to I had to deal with that when I was ten because um, my dad we had uh, it was right after Babaka. Um, I don't know if you ever saw Babaka handover. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, to uh, to uh, So we just transitioned to civilian role. My dad's job got posted us to Burkina Faso. So. Burkina Faso okay. is a country in West Africa for those listening, French speaking country. So then I was this, you know, skinny Nigerian kid with a thick Nigerian accent, a French speaking country, and an American national school going through puberty, right? So yeah. then, you know, our kids are very honest. 
you know, people will point things out. Your food smells weird. Your hair is this. Your dad. So I was I was made known about that at a very early age, and so I because I was in an, in an, an American international school, um, I yeah. got to understand that. So I was asking that for you because it sounds like you experienced that at a later age, but I um I had to understand that, and by the time I came back to Nigeria, it was different because I was now not Nigerian enough. <laughs> Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and this was me going to boarding school at this time. And when you're not Nigerian enough, and people already, they were like, "Oh, you're American, you're American." And I hadn't been to America at that time. You know, it was like, you know, yeah. so it was just funny. It's funny for me hearing all these identity stories because, um, um, yeah, I was very well aware of what you're saying. You're aware of, but it was just a, a, a younger age for me because I had to because that's how we were classified in school. Um, but yeah, interesting. Okay, so. Then you decide to study, um, you know, you, you get an MBA, you decide to study. Tell me what led down the path of you dropping out and moving to Spain. Because, you know, United States, Spain, different languages, different continents. <laughs> what, what, just talk to me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm just going to try and summarize this as, as best as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I think writing has always been my passion. Um, but... I my undergrad I studied economics and then after graduating I started working in a bank back home and I was like okay I need to get a master's to grow in the corporate ladder blah blah um and so then I moved to the states to get an MBA um and I never looked at writing as an actual career path but but um partly because you know Nigeria you need to you know I just thought I needed an actual um structured career or like conventional career and then I can write on the side. Mm. Um so you know I started getting my MBA and my MBA was in a um a business school that was very entrepreneurial. So my emphasis was an in international business because you know I was like okay I'm an international student I want to work in the World Bank United Nations I want to live and travel around the world so international business is going to be my emphasis makes sense um but being in an entrepreneurial school we were very surrounded by entrepreneurship and um you know starting businesses and electives so I got sucked into that and I was like wait I I like this I like being an entrepreneur and you know, being industrious and strategic thinking and all that. Um, so during my MBA, I was working as a research assistant, which is one of the only jobs available to international students. And because of my love for writing, I started writing a lot of research paper, a lot of um, case studies with my professors. So I had a lot of write- writing repertoire, you know, in my folder or my profile. So after my MBA, my professor and mentor, she's just one of the most influential people to me in my career. And um, she's an, uh, a Harvard alum, but undergrad and grad. And she was like, you need to get your PhD. And I was like, I, you know, I don't think being in, you know, a school career or being a professor is not for me. It's just like, you're so good at this. You already have so many case studies and research work. Just do your PhD. And so I was baffling with that while I started working in an um, online marketing company in Kansas, in Kansas City. 
And so she sent me a link to a school in Madrid that was recruiting PhD students. And it was a full scholarship. So she said, you should apply for this. So I was like, so the company I was working at is actually in Lisa, Missouri, which is a suburb of Kansas City. So a small town. So I'm like, hmm, Lisa, Madrid. Lisa, Madrid, which, <laughs> which, which is more viable. I mean, I've always wanted to live in Europe. And, you know, I have a love for French language for some reason. Anyway. So I was like, okay, I'll just apply, and but, it's but a full Spain, scholarship. Spain and French? It's different, right? Yeah, so it's different, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I'm aware, but it's the closest I could get to France. So, okay, I mean, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, it's like a gateway country, I guess. But um, I, yeah, so I applied because there was a full scholarship and mo- monthly stipends because, you know, you're doing research work. So I was like, okay, um, might as well. But I never, I never thought I would get it. I just applied because, you know, pursue all leads, blah, blah, blah. And I got it. And I was like, you know, I didn't tell my friends until almost two weeks before because I kept thinking I wouldn't get it. And I was like, guys, I'm, I'm moving to Spain. And I was like, <laughs> what? What? I'm like, yeah, I'm moving to Spain. And I put in my notice at my job. And I just packed up, sold my furniture, and just came to Madrid. Um, so that's how I got into the program. Sorry, this story is so long. No, it's not. It's uh, not. No, I have, I, as you can imagine, I have a lot of questions. Now, yes. um, I like what, how you said, uh, so you have an affinity for French, and you found a gateway, right? So the reason why I like that is because... Uh, a lot of times when people want something, um, they stop it at, at, you know, at, at, uh, at the thought of, if I don't get this, then it's not mm-hmm. going to happen. But you said, you know, Spanish sounds a lot similar to French. So if I can get there, which means I can get closer to, to, um, to even practicing the language. That, that yeah. is a very interest. That's a very good attitude to have when you're building the business. You know, it's, it's the idea of being creative around that. Um, yeah. Another thing that you touched on, I'm very familiar with this. A lot of Nigerians, you know, in fact, a lot of people in the continent of Africa as well as Asia, um, I've noticed have the same sort of mindset where families uh, tend to prefer what you call traditional careers for the son. So the lawyers, engineers, mm-hmm. doctors. Um, you did, however, go to an entrepreneurial school and you were exposed to the idea that you could also explore some of your creativity. And it sounds like yep. you've been someone that's always been creative, but you, you were told to get a PhD, so you thought you were supposed to do that. Um, t- talk to me about that d- inner dilemma, because I, I've, I've, I obviously have a creative career. My parents, mm-hmm. I'm the oldest of three boys, and my parents wanted me to do something else. So <laughs> I've had that talk, but I want to know how you resolved within yourself to say, I'm going to do this, and um, it's going to be a decision for me enough. Yeah. Um, I've always, not only have I always had that dilemma, I've also always been surrounded by it. Mm -hmm. So my eldest brother, the first son, (laughs) he, um, he was studying mass communications in, you know, in Nigeria. And he's, you know, also another very creative person. And he decided to switch to theater. Mm. And... (laughs) 
I mean, even studying theater now is still like, oh, you're gonna you're gonna die of poverty. But imagine in the '90s, you know, he switched to theater, and my mom was hesitant, but she was just very loving and supportive, and you know, she's like, I'll support you anyways. Mm. So he switched, and when he graduated, my mom worked in the university, and she's like, I'll get you a lecturing job. Um, and he said no, and he moved to Lagos and hustled and. Now he has a creative uh, career. So he was also an inspiration, you know, that I looked up to. And, and then my mom, both my parents are, were academics. And, you know, my mom has a PhD. My dad has a PhD. And I was the bookworm in the house, you know. <laughs> so, you know, my mom was like, you get a PhD. You, you do you this, you do that. And, you know, I had... Friends that like a lot of my friends right now get uh, in their PhD programs as well, and will be like, I'll get my PhD at 27 before you, and it's like it was the thing that you did that you aspire to. So, <laughs> um, so I remember one time my mom came to visit me in Kansas City, and she was talking about the PhD stuff, and she was like, I love your school, my God, it would be the dream if you could get a PhD scholarship here. And I'm like, no, I'm not. And she's like, you are. I spent this money to send me. Are you, are you mad? So <laughs> um, we had this, you know, intense conversation. And then I got, I was obsessed with Shark Tank. Um, I know some people don't like the show and they say it's sensational. But I've learned so much from the show. Um, and so I made my mom watch Shark Tank. And I said, I'm going to be one of these people. And she was sold. And she was like, you know, she was amazed at seeing how the small companies, and she's like, wow, wow, wow. You know, Nigerian parents can be dramatic. Like, mm-hmm. wow, ah, Simone, ha, wow. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so after that, that, you know, conversation, she stopped singing the PhD music. Mm-hmm. So I just had it at the back of my mind that, okay, I... I have that pressure off. But, you know, I still ended up starting the PhD program because I got an opportunity and it was a way to get out. Um, so I took it. But, you know, it's no surprise that I dropped out eventually because it was never what I wanted deep down. Gotcha. I don't know if that answers your question. No, it does. It does. You followed your internal compass. And um, I love the fact that, uh, you know, you, it's funny saying you, you, you showed your mom Shark Tank. Um, that's, that's, that's interesting. So then you got, um, you decided to launch your magazine, Cleverish Magazine. Tell us about that. Um, well, I, you know, always, like I said, I love writing and always wanted to explore that. And I, you know, always wanted to own a magazine. I don't know where that particular dream came from, but I like, you know, in business school when they say, you know, write a business plan, create a fictional company. For me, it's just a magazine and, you know, being a writer. And when I watch movies, I just, like, focus on, you know, the characters that have writing careers. And um, so um, during my PhD program, it was very um, intense. I'm sure, you know, every PhD person would tell you that. I had no life. I was stressed. I hated the courses. It was um, so many hours. 
and I was just the hunger for to be creative was so deep like it it had never been millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom like Evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me that wasn't an option I never really was a salad guy that's just not who I am but Noom worked for me Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. In that deep. Um, so I started writing for a food magazine here in Madrid. Mm. Um, and it was... The first time I was getting back into creative writing, you know, creative nonfiction or just writing, not research or anything like that. And um, it got me back into that vibe. You know, I would go to restaurants, I would review the food, the restaurants, you know, eat for free. So, of course, I was inspired. Um, I mean, so, yeah. <laughs> so, what's the time I was, um, you know, deciding to drop out I was like I'm gonna drop out and I'm gonna start this magazine finally and it's like I mean if a foreign country if once I drop this program I'm not gonna have my monthly stipends anymore um so I'm gonna be broke and you know have nothing so this is the best time to start what I've always wanted to do because there's no I can hit rock bottom any more than right now Right. And I remember talking to a friend. Um, she's a life coach, which is a, a close friend and um, all that. Um, but I told her, I'm like, you know, it can't get any worse. So I might as well tackle my biggest mountain, you know. So, yeah, I dropped out. And for one month, I, I didn't do anything. I was just sleeping at home and being a slob and <laughs> thinking about my life or not not thinking about my life and just Netflixing my my future away. And um, eventually I got, you know, got myself back and I started the magazine. And I started the magazine because it was, you know, a perfect opportunity for me to explore my writing, um, explore my need to be an entrepreneur and my business acumen or want to be acumen and um, combine that, you know, into a creative platform that uses all my skills and, you know, just share what I have, my gifts with the world. So that's how it came about. So the name Cleverish, what does it, what does it mean? And what's the target target audience? Um, Well, clever as in, no, I I I know, but what does it mean to you? (laughs) When you say Cleverish, are you saying people are sort of clever? Or well, <laughs> people for me, I mean, clever will be my defining personality trait. Don't argue. Okay. And, okay. <laughs> okay. 
and ish because I mean we're not nobody is everything mm. you know and with creativity it's always like uh you know I I guess so and even if you have full confidence you go through stages of doubt um but I think you know clever is just represents what it is like we're striving for perfection but we realize that we all we need to grow we realize that there's always work to be done on ourselves on our creativity so yeah it's ish it's like yeah clever ish <laughs> in spanish you say mas o menos more or less mas o menos mas o menos <laughs> um okay now when i know i know when you reached out you wanted to talk about the myth that people have that entrepreneurs can't be creative. You want to talk about what your, you know, you know, obviously opportunity for you to promote Cleverish magazine, but then you also yeah. want to talk about the quarter life crisis as well as culture. So let's start from the bottom part. When you talk about culture, what does culture mean to you in today's world? Well, you know, you called me the third culture kid. <laughs> third culture kid and the last five years of my life has just been um me trying to navigate blend understand and grow in you know my place in culture you know I have my Nigerian culture I have whatever I picked up from America um I'm in Spain which you know it has a very defined defined culture and way of life and um, I'm a growing adult, a wannabe adult, and starting to try to appreciate art more and music and refine my tastes. So it's been um, a significant part of my life and my self-growth and also the way I interact with the world. Um, and I've learned that it, you know, it has an effect on our lives our other other aspects of our lives our jobs our relationships you know culture plays a role and i've learned to embrace that and mm. let that um benefit me so um for example food lately i've just been exploring the cultural aspects of food and just it's so fascinating you know when you look beyond just the surface to see like the dynamics of food, the history, how it brings people together and how it separates people. Um, and, you know, I've been talking about that a lot with my friends. Like, you know, we have these debates like um, dumplings versus stuffed pasta, <laughs> for example. <laughs> like um, Italian food. Um, and you have, like, you know, Spain is so diverse. So you have Italian roommates and they make, gnocchi and they're like mm, maravilloso and <laughs> you know they have so much pride in that and then you have Mexican friends in Spain and you know they're supposed to have similar cultures but they're so different and everyone like takes their food seriously so it's been um one aspect of culture that I've, I've learned so much and it's made me you know respect people's food more and just be more intentional in how I consume food and also food as art as well. You know, um, chefs are one of the most creative people, I think, mm. you know, and um, meeting chefs and talking to them and you, you realize how their brain, their brains work and, you know, they contribute so much to society with their food and they, you know, define how we see food 
in how we interact with that. So, um, yeah, not to go on blabbing about food, no. but that's uh, one, yeah, aspect well, of culture. That's so interesting for me because um, the reason I'm asking you that is uh, you brought up incredible points there. When you talk about food, art, and these are connectors. I always call them connectors. These are things that across the globe, even though people have different methods of doing that, um, it, it sort of brings people together. You know, sports is another one of that. Music is another one of that. Are you suggesting that with what you've learned about culture, being someone who um, much we experience a lot of this nuance at a, as an adult, you start to see that there are different ways to connect, and you having that platform that you have the, with your magazine, you're able yeah. to use that to bring people together. Yeah, of course. I mean, how can I not talk about culture? It's mm. it's like ignoring one of the most important aspects, right? Of of our lives so yes i see it as a connector like you said and um when it's approached the right way it connects people and you learn from it um so yeah i always want to highlight that um on the magazine and you know the ethos of clever is creativity and culture feeds creativity and creativity feeds from culture so Mm. you know of course it's very important um to creatives and to me and to the magazine. Okay, okay. So now, talk to me now. You're you're what twenty seven? Yes, I'm twenty seven. Right. You are what people normally. The reason why I brought your age up is because you you like to talk about the quarter life crisis. Now you've mm-hmm. just passed the twenty. You know, you're two years past twenty five. Um, a lot of people that yeah. listen to podcast um, are in that quarter life <laughs> um, crisis period, right? Yeah. What do you what are your thoughts on that? Oh man. Um <laughs> I'm like, where do I start? Anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I am going through a quarter life crisis. Mm. I mean, I don't know about you or anyone, but I am so like my crisis is daily, hourly, um and um the fact that I write about it doesn't mean I have the answers. But um, writing about it just creates an environment to talk about it. You know, they say in your 20s, you, um, you have to choose your career. You know, you have to choose what you're going to do for the next 10 years. It's going to define your financial status, your status in society, your, like, love life or family life and all that. And we're not equipped to make these decisions off the bat. You know, it's like me, like I'm just the perfect example. You know, I was in school and I thought, oh, I'll, I'll get my MBA. I'll get a job on Wall Street. Oh, money, 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 perfection, perfect life. And then life was like, you know, just knocked me on my feet, off my feet. Mm. Right. And I realized so many people in their 20s have this same dilemma and uncertainties. And I think being in a cosmopolitan city like Madrid, you know, all my friends are internationals. Like my my closest friends are from the UK and Canada and um, South America and France and Italy. And we're in Madrid and everyone is on their way somewhere. Like we make this joke, like I'm on a three-year layover in Madrid. You know, I'm headed somewhere. And you have people that, you know, they took a gap year and they're here teaching English, but then they're like, you know, my passion is to 
you know, be a comedian and I don't know how I'm going to navigate that. And I'm just trying to figure it out. And I'm on this job right now just so I can pay my rent. Mm. But I want to be, I want to do something creative. I want to start a company. I want to be a writer. And so I just realized everyone around me is having the same questions, talking about the same things. And, you know, there's some content out there on quarter life crisis, but nothing as, you know, pronounced or, popular that people you know in their 20s can be like okay hey this is a thing i think naming it first of all um it's a step towards figuring it out like okay yes i admit and i recognize i'm going through a crisis and being more intentional and conscious in how i navigate this period and make decisions it's going to you know determine how i come out of it what what i come out as at the other end of it um, so yeah, I, you know, like to write about that and talk about that and, you know, have it not be a taboo topic mm. and yeah, it leads to, you know, so many people also think it's just then, you know, they're like, Oh, I don't know what I'm doing in my life. Oh my God. And it's like, no, me too. You know, mm. it's not just you and the economy now and society is so different from what it used to be there's nothing that's linear anymore like you can't just uh come out and it's so, so like less and less like millennials you know we're broke we there are no jobs the economy is shit the economy is bad um it's okay it's and- okay you can say whatever you want <laughs> <laughs> the reason why i'm so i'm asking you that because I, I, I like having you on the show because you, you, you describe yourself as someone who is currently going through this. Yeah. Um, and I, one thing that I've always wanted your show to be is to be vulnerable, to be open, and to, to really show the other side of entrepreneurship. Because many people sometimes romanticize the idea of entrepreneur and entrepreneurs are like, hey, yo, so let's, uh, let's it's all going to be like what you said, you know, it's the end of the Shark Tank. Someone's going to give me uh, a good mm-hmm. deal. And that, w- that will solve my problems. The aspects that we don't get to talk about are the, the journey, you know. So mm-hmm. the tough times for you to move to a new city, to create uh, a new a, a magazine in an environment that you didn't speak the language, and then to figure out to make that profitable while dealing with the fact that, hey, is this what I want to do with the rest of my life? And and, and dealing with that as a Nigerian in, in, a, in another continent who just left another continent. I am... Very curious if you could share some like actionable tips to the audience, you know, like that can make them realize that, okay, it's okay to feel this uncertain. And here's what I've done to feel better, even though I don't have all the answers. Yeah. Um, okay. The first thing that comes to mind will be, um, you know, there are so many people that want to be entrepreneurs. They want to be creatives. They want to go out on their own, but they are, they can't right now, you know, they're in a job, maybe a dead end job or something they hate and something that doesn't inspire them, but it pays the rent. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was just want to tell those people to not keep beating themselves up. It's okay to be in a shitty job for now. It's okay to be working just for money because I think the myth people are like, Quit your job and um, pursue your dreams. Don't be a sellout, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, dude, we got to pay rent. 
and um, it's not realistic to just up and go, right? And so there are many people who can't do that just yet, and so they, you know, they're depressed, they're sad, they feel like losers and all that. But so I'll just tell those people, it's okay. Be present. Be intentional in where you are. Learn from that job. Focus on something positive about that job. It could be the fact that it gives you a schedule that you can follow. You know, you wake up, you know, practice that. Be intentional in that because when you eventually quit and you're out on your own, you're going to have to create a schedule for yourself so that you can be productive. Mm. Learn from your boss. Learn, like, you know, I had shitty jobs where all I did all day was spreadsheets. And um, I hated it. But now for like Cleverish Magazine, my spreadsheet is like, it's like a walk of art. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but and that's because I learned it from my job that I hated. So be intentional in where you are currently in life and learn from that. Um, be present, even though you hate the job, they're paying you. So, you know, be productive, do your work, um, l- learn from it. And so when you eventually do get out on your own, you fare so much better than, you know, someone that just has a negative attitude. It's like, I hate this job and, you know, sulking all the time or complaining all the time. Gotcha. Wow. I love that. Um, all right. So, so let, let's get ready to, to wrap up here because I, I want people to also know how they can connect with you and what your dreams are for, for the magazine. So um, talk yeah. about the dreams and then how can people reach out? Um, it's called Cleverish Magazine. Um, it's about creativity. We, you know, we celebrate all forms of creativity. So when you go on there, you're going to see content that um, helps you navigate a creative career, helps you navigate um, trying to start a creative career. We also write about quarter-life crisis because we, me and my writers, we're, we're all going through a quarter-life crisis. So, you know, we create content around that. And we also create content that, you know, helps you navigate a creative career while going through a quarter-life crisis. If, you know, that unique combination is your Achilles heel. And also, of course, we write about culture, book reviews, music reviews, cultural events, you know, things to stimulate you and keep you informed on, like, what's happening in society. Um, and we're on Instagram at, at Cleverish Mag, so M- Cleverish Mag, M-A-G, um and we're on Facebook at Cleverish Magazine, we're on Twitter at Cleverish Mag, and our website is www.cleverishmagazine.com. Or you could just Google Cleverish Magazine and you'll find us right there. And Cleverish is spelled clever hyphen ish. Um but you can Google us without the hyphen as well and you'll find us also. Oh. And yeah, when you go on outside, sign up for a newsletter, follow us on social media, comment on the articles, engage, ask questions, and you know we love a community and we like we we say join the conversation. You know we're all about conversations and learning from each other. Um, so yeah, feel free to reach out and say hello. Thank you, thank you so much. Uh, this this is this is always uh, this is this is uh, always a very fun aspect of me of the, the podcast. Um, so I just yeah. want you to confirm for the world right now. This is this is yeah. this is right there. Oh, that, the, that, this is scary. Yes, that Nigeria has the best jollof rice in the world. Of course.
course. Oh my God. Okay. Okay. I just hit my table. Okay. Okay. So for those listening, jollof rice is one of the staple foods in in, in Nigeria. But there are yes. people in Ghana and Senegal <laughs> and other countries in West Africa who claim Luna? to have the best jollof rice. So if you are and you should go going plan to go to Nigeria, understand that there is no better place. For jollof rice. Anyways, I'm done. I'm done. I just wanted you to confirm that. That's all. Yeah. I'm a self-appointed ambassador for Nigerian jollof. <laughs> and I have gotten many friendly but intense social media fights mm. with my best friend from Ghana on jollof. called jollof wars. And yes, Nigerian jollof, of course. <laughs> also, I've never had Ghana jollof. But I, I know Nigeria's I, 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 I better. Have had so, 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 so I can say it. <laughs> um, oh, I know without a doubt, Nigeria Jalop is better. Uh, so th- <laughs> thank you. And I used to write for a food magazine, so I know what I'm saying. I'm a professional food critic. <laughs> oh man thank you so much thank you so much. This has been a real pleasure. So um, don't, one of the reasons why I love this interview is because I like to also interview people who are going through the journey, right? And and yeah. you're someone who's who's definitely going to you. You found your passion. You found a way to you broke. You dropped out. You know, you dropped out, which <laughs> is, is a very scary thing for people. And you, yeah. you decided to chart your own path. And now you're in the process of doing that. And you sharing your stories about quarter life crisis is something that I want anyone in the audience right there to think about. If you're currently going through that, or you know people that are going through that please reach out to Gigi. You know, she would love to cover these stories. She would love to share that with the world and create a platform for that because, yeah. you know, um, you don't have to be clever, but you can be cleverish. So <laughs> I love that. I'm going to steal that. Steal it, steal it away, <laughs> steal it away, steal it away. Uh, but I, I, I got to thank you. Thank you so much for, for coming on the show and I can't wait to uh, get this episode out there. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And um, it's been a pleasure talking to you and meeting you virtually and, yeah. Oh, I almost forgot. Mm-hmm. Duh. My mission statement is use your difference to make a difference. So yeah. before you go, how do you use your difference to make a difference? Um, okay. I use my difference to make a difference in the sense that um, I have a passion for creativity and um, I've been able to acknowledge and identify that I don't have all the answers. And so um being different in the in the way that I have acknowledged that I'm making a difference by creating a platform where we can have honest conversations about it and helping other people, you know, have their um questions answered or, you know, identify what problems they might be having with creative creativity and navigating that path. And so I'm making a difference or trying to make a difference with that. Awesome. Awesome. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait uh, to, to get this out there. I know that we said goodbye before, but this is goodbye for real. <laughs> okay. Thank you uh, so much for having me. This was such a pleasure. I, I was never so, well, but... Um, you did good. You did, you did well. I'm glad I did. Thank you. <laughs> um, all right. Well, um, ladies and gentlemen, until next time, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.